What's going on, everybody? This is Ryan Henry, and welcome to 180, where we get to share amazing stories of Christian transformation from around the world. These stories will literally blow your mind. Follow us on your favorite podcast player, or you can visit us at 180podcast.com. That's O-N-E-80podcast.com. When you're left on your own, you develop an independence that some would applaud you for. But as I look back on as an adult, it creates a very unhealthy view of life. And again, people can applaud and think, boy, you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps and you endured. Don Long had a precarious childhood, having both parents die by the age of 12. So he learned quickly how to care for himself with his own bootstraps theology. His view of the world was grim, and for Don, he couldn't see himself making it past 18. He pridefully wore his sin like a uniform, but a loving mentor saw right through Don's tough guy facade, and he spoke to him about a kind savior and the book he needed to read. Through the pages of the Bible, Don found new eyes to see the blessings around him and a true helper in times of need. Welcome to Don's 180. Don, welcome to the show. Really excited to have you on 180 today. Well, I'm excited to be here. I hope something I can share might touch somebody's life. Yeah, amen, amen. Well, before we get too far in your story, we want to start off with a random question. What was the hardest thing that you ever learned? You know, as I think about that, I would say probably the hardest thing I've had to learn was how to be a husband and how to be a father. Yeah. Because I didn't have a good role model for that. To be kind, to be patient, Mm. to be loving, to serve. I can go right down the list Mm. and my wife would probably be echoing an amen (laughs) because I had no idea how to do those things. Thank you for sharing that. That's, that's good. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. But let's get into your story, Don. Um, and if we can go back to the beginning, talk to us about where you grew up. I was born in Delaware. And um, my childhood's kind of unusual because I know some details, but I don't know some details. Yeah. My understanding is that my birth mother had had cancer mm-hmm. and it was treated. And then when she found out pregnant with me, she was told, we need to get rid of this baby because more cancer, we need to treat it. And that, in essence, her response was, I'm going to have the child and we'll deal with the cancer later. Mm. My father, he worked away from home Monday through Friday. He was gone. And so she had a four-year-old, a baby, and she had cancer. And my grandparents were in Virginia. They came up to get her and the kids mm. took us down there. I went to North Carolina to live with an aunt and uncle. So my first memory as a kid, my first memory is with an aunt and uncle. Mm. The grandparents kept my uh, mother. My sister stayed there. In essence, she watched our mother deteriorate. And I was a happy-go-lucky kid. Mm. I didn't know I was experiencing an unusual childhood until... My mother died a few days after I turned four. And my dad shows up 10 months later and said, this is your new mom. 
This is your sister. Put us in a car, drove from Virginia to Delaware. We were all put in a home in Delaware, and Monday morning he's off to work in Pennsylvania. Mm. And so our stepmom was 50 years old, had never been married, and she gets two kids that, in essence, hadn't lived together. So you get a four-year-old and an eight-year-old. So things changed when we came together as a family unit. So what happened next? It was a difficult time because my stepmom, she had never been married, never had kids. Uh, My dad was gone Monday through Friday. So in essence, she didn't have a husband around either. It was kind of a tumultuous situation. I guess the family moved to New Jersey to try to be together when he was at one of his job sites, and that didn't work. And then um, he had tried teaching for a year. Mm. My understanding is he was miserable at that, so he went back. Uh, He worked for the Corps of Engineers, so he was working around the East Coast. But then everything changed in third grade. My stepmom, she left. I had heard nervous breakdown, and I didn't really understand it till I was probably 35 years old. As her health was fading and she was needing to go in a care facility, I found every letter that she had written during that time. So I put them together by date. Oh, wow. And I began to read. The letters would be my dad saying, you call yourself a Christian. These kids need a uh, mom get back here. Her response back as I'd read her letters would be, they need a dad. I need a husband. We need to be together as a family. Then the response would be something to the effect of, I'll buy you a car. If you will come back here. I read those letters and here I'm in my mid thirties. Wow. And I finally understood what happened. On my end, as a third grader, my sister and I, we had no adult Monday through Friday. Hmm. I was third grade. She was seventh grade. We were somewhat on our own. People have asked, how'd you feed yourself? I don't know. We did it. Um, My sister, she was more the responsible one. And let's just say as a third grader, she wasn't my boss. And Hmm. I did what I wanted. I was such a little con artist. I thought, why steal a pack of cigarettes from the grocery store if you can steal a carton? Because then you have to steal less. I found Hmm. a bottle of peach brandy. And as a kid at school, they served peaches. There was that juice in the bottom of the bowl, Yeah. and I loved to drink it. I thought, peach brandy, that must be what that juice is in the bottom of a bowl. <laughs> you know, I found out that peach brandy was not what was in the bottom of that bowl. Yeah. Th- those are just a couple illustrations of things that I did. I recall uh, being fearful at night because we lived in what I considered a creepy old house. My pillow... I didn't use it under my head. I covered my head Hmm. because that was a creepy old place. And my sister was the only one around. And yet again, I was kind of defiant third grader. She wasn't going to be my boss. Right. So it was an unusual time. My dad, you know, would come home on the weekends. He came home one Friday. He must have taken off at noon because Friday afternoon, I'm a third grader. And he walks into the house. I'm sitting in his chair smoking. Wow. When you're left on your own, you develop an independence that some would applaud you for. But as I look back on as an adult, it creates a very unhealthy view of life. And again, people can applaud and think, boy, you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps and you endured. In fourth grade, my stepmom came back. 
And we kept the place in Delaware, but she came back. They bought a mobile home. You can call them mobile homes, but in school we were called trailer trash. It was a construction worker's trailer park along the Chesapeake Bay, because that, that was where my dad was working at the time. And so we would live there Monday through Friday as a family, fourth, fifth grade. It was a rough trailer park. Those were the two years that I think we lived somewhat a normal life because there was a mom and dad there. Yeah. But then in sixth grade, my dad got sick and he died. Wow. Right. Oh my gosh. It's, yeah, so hard, but gosh, you were so young, you know, before your dad dies, what was your view of life? I mean, you mentioned, you know, kind of pulling yourself up by the bootstraps, um, like just get through it. I didn't view it at the time as get through. I was more the independent freelance, a phrase, I double dog dare you. Fortunately, I didn't back down from any of those. Oh and that, that's <laughs> sometimes not a good thing. Right. I was very independent. Mm -hmm. It came to an culmination uh, when my children were in their teens and the show Survivor was coming on. And my kids said, Dad, you would be great on the show Survivor. I go, why the heck would I want to go on that? And I realized that was my life growing up. And I didn't even realize. Mm -hmm. Did you have a view of God? I really didn't. My stepmom was a choir director, some at a Methodist church, but I didn't want to go to church. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember one memory of going to church as a family and my dad mm -hmm. falling asleep. It was something that we may have done, but, but as far as it having an impact, I remember my dad would had this set prayer he would do that he ran through so fast at a meal, but there wasn't much of a connection. Yeah. I really had no view as far as it having an impact in my life. Yeah, yeah. Let's go back to when your, your dad passed away. Did you say that was sixth grade? Yeah. Sixth grade. What, so what happened then? What was that like for you? I only have a few memories of that. One is... My 12th birthday, I don't ever remember birthdays, Christmases, things like that. But he went into the hospital a few days after I turned 12. I recall we went to a toy store. He bought me a bicycle. I thought it was a great bike. Swin Stingray. And literally, it's the, I can't remember getting another gift. Um, that was a big deal. I got that. And I think it was the next day. And he... Went in the hospital, I heard brain tumor. I didn't know what that meant. And again, I wasn't real serious-minded mm -hmm. as a kid, so I was like, okay, he's going in the hospital. And I actually remember in his hospital room, one time I looked out and there was a cemetery there, and here I was a sixth grade kid, and I made the joke, well, if something happens to somebody, they don't have far to go. And all these nurses and people were like, shh, don't say things like that. Oh my gosh. And for me, I only remember being at the hospital one time, and then I remember the evening, my stepmom coming in, and the pastor's name was Short. And I remember because I was in school with his son, and so we always were the long and the short. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it was late at night, and they walked in, and he told me, you know, uh, your dad died. And over the years, I've told people when their, their parent has died and they're in elementary, don't ever say to a kid, you're the man of the family now. Because I had people saying that to me. And I look back going, I was 12 years old. Yeah. And 
you're a kid. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I cried at my dad's funeral because here people pat you on the head. You're the man of the family now. Did I grieve? Did grieve process things? You just did it. Hmm. And sadly, that became my way. You just got through, but something clicked. Basically, the enemy got a foothold, and somehow I had this belief that it must be in my DNA to have a mom die, a dad die, and I'm going to die soon. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And I don't think I picked a number at 12, but within a short time, I thought, I'll never make it past 18. Hmm. And the trailer park was tough. We had a kid get killed there in a fight. I had a big mouth, no muscles, dangerous combo. Hmm. I needed someone to sit me down. My stepmom would try to discipline me, and I did what I wanted. Hmm. So when, you're, when your dad passed away, I mean, how did that affect your view of God? Oh, I got angry. I've said before, people find it unusual as a pastor now, but I got mad as hell. And I took it out on anybody. I was angry with things like other kids. They had a dad to play catch with. I never had mm -hmm. anybody to play catch with. Others had these different things. And I started looking going, this isn't normal. I would watch kids that, that they'd shoot in the driveway and play mm -hmm. basketball with dad. And I was like, I don't yeah. have anybody to do that with. And then... My stepmom was older, and she was fully gray, white hair. So everybody would say, oh, is this your grandma? Mm -hmm. So it became embarrassing to me because others would have a younger mom or dad. And yeah, I got mad. Seventh grade on, I began to cheat. I was disrespectful. Our school had a policy. If you went to the principal's office 20 times, you got suspended. Oh. I went 19 times as a seventh grader, 19 times as an eighth grader, 19 times as a ninth grader. Oh my. God. I walked in 10th grade and the principal looked at me and he held up three fingers. I go, wait, what happened to 20? He goes, three times and you're gone. And I went two times. Oh my gosh. So I was one to walk right up to the line. I didn't know how to express my anger. And so sadly, I think my sister and my stepmom and probably my teachers hmm. were the recipients. I knew enough to straddle the line and not say certain things, hmm. you know, around my stepmom. I had faked her out pretty good. In 10th grade, my stepmom had hmm. offered to adopt mm -hmm. my sister and I, and I was arrogant. I tried negotiating with her, and I said, if you'll buy me a car, I'll sign the oh, adoption man. papers. And she said, I'm not buying you a car. And so I literally walked out of the lawyer's office and wouldn't sign the adoption mm. papers because I wanted a car. I found out later that the Maryland Department of Social Services basically indicated you're going to become a ward of the state if you mm. don't have a legal guardian. And so... I did sign the adoption papers. And so there, there was a disrespect, an arrogance, an anger. Man, yeah, yeah. But here's what happened. During basketball season, my wisdom teeth were messed up. And we had a weekend where we didn't have any games. They had a range where we can go in and we can remove your wisdom teeth. They had me under anesthesia to remove the teeth. My sister told me this a few years later. 
they were in the waiting room. My stepmom gets up to go get some food. The nurse came storming out and said, who's with him? And my sister was the only one there. And she goes, mm-hmm. well, I am. She would have been, what, 19 then? She goes, he is cussing out everybody in there. He's wow. He's calling everybody names. And she goes, let me go get his mom. Mm-hmm. Because she knew I was a hypocrite. And it angered her that here my stepmom mm-hmm. still wasn't aware of some of my stuff. She mm-hmm. told me later, she goes, I went and got our mom had her walk in the recovery room, and she goes, you are cussing out everybody, mm. calling everybody every name imaginable. And she finally heard what mm. you were really like and what was going on in your heart. And I think that was part of what led mm. to a huge transition in my life. That summer at the trailer park we lived in, a family of the year before, uh, one of the brothers got in a fight, and the dad came running with a shotgun mm. and killed the guy fighting his son. Well, that summer, I was playing basketball. I blocked a shot of his brother. I was trash-talking him, embarrassing him, making fun of him. And he took off running. And so I'm mocking him. He ran away. Well, he came back with a knife. Oh, my gosh. He was wanting to cut me up. And so I had messed with the family that the dad a year earlier had shot and killed somebody who was fighting with his son. Well, my stepmom heard that he had come after me. And so between that, her hearing my language... She began to get things from Culver Military Academy. I didn't know what military schools were. She didn't know what to do with me. She was a Christian. I had actually grabbed her once and held her upside a wall because she told me she keeps praying for me. And I go, stop praying for Mm. me. Because if there's a God, not real interested because it seems like life's not going well. And somehow in there, that futility that I'm not going to make it to 18 had been impregnated in my mind. Yeah. And so, you know, I'd be a smart aleck. I'd see these brochures of the military guys that ran these military schools. And I was like, yeah, bring them on. I didn't know what to do. She didn't know what to do. I was an angry kid. Mm. She announced to my sister and I one day, we would be moving to Indiana. At 6'2 in Maryland, I was a center on the basketball team. I wasn't that good, but I was cocky. And so I thought, Indiana basketball, bring it on. I'll show those boys how to play Mm -hmm. ball. So I moved. I had the East Coast accent. I was cocky, arrogant, used to fights in school. And we moved to Indiana. Mm -hmm. And I was a duck out of water. Mm -hmm. I'd ask, what kind of fights you have in school? And they're like, what? Basketball-wise, these boys knew how to play basketball, and they were a lot bigger, and they were a lot better in me, and my world was jerked out from under my feet. I can see how that would uh, play out like that. So what happened next? How bad did things get? I was still cocky, and here I had cheated in school 7th through 10th grade. Right. Somehow moving that far away, a new school, I decided not to cheat. And within a, a month, a teacher accused me of cheating, and I had gone four years and never been caught cheating. And one of the math teachers accused me of cheating because I didn't follow his formula. And I go, is the answer right? He goes, yes. Hmm. And I was like, really? I I tried doing something noble and I'm accused of cheating. And Hmm. I hadn't cheated. (laughs) But my stepmom was a Christian. My sister had accepted Christ. They started going to a larger church. It was 500 people. 
And they sicked the youth group on me. <laughs> and the church had sports and a lot of cute girls. And I'm like, okay, that kind of works for me. <laughs> but they had a, a stipulation to play on any of those sports teams. You had to come two times a month to church. I wasn't real hip on going to church, but did I mention they had cute girls? <laughs> yeah, right. So I literally would slip in <clears throat> as the last guy and sit on the back row. And then before the men was done with amen, I was out of there. Hey, thanks for listening to 180. Make sure to share today's 180 with your people. It may be the best news that they hear today. Now, back to the show. But the pastor was a real hellfire guy, and he preached a lot about heaven and hell. You know Christ, you go to heaven. You don't know Christ, you go to hell. And he would talk about people who are sinners and all. Well, I was 17 years old. I had that sin thing figured out. You didn't have to convince me I was a sinner. It was like, check, I understand that. If you don't know Christ, you go to hell. And I thought, well, some of the stuff I've done, I deserve that. Hmm. But wait a minute. All you have to do is pray to believe Jesus is the Son of God. And I'm like, I didn't know much about it. Sounds like he was. Hmm. And just say, you're a sinner and be my Savior and you go to heaven. And as a little con artist, I remember thinking, I'm 17 years old. I only got a year to go. Hmm. I can do this Christian thing. And I literally began to figure out the rhythm of the pastor because he would do an altar call invitation at the end. If somebody would go up early, he'd kind of parade them and say something to them and talk about him. But if you went up at the very end, they somewhat ushered you off into a room. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do this Christian thing, and I'll ask Jesus, but I'm going to do this in a way that can be the least noticeable possible. So I figured out the rhythm he would do on the Sundays and when he said this certain phrase, I knew that was nothing after that. And I waited till the very end, and I stepped up. And he kind of looked at me, and they ushered me off to the room. <laughs> and I thought, very few know. Boom. Yeah. I'm in. Yeah. Heaven sounded good. Hell, I felt like I'd kind of lived hell on earth. Why do I want to spend eternity? And again, I only had a year to go. Mm -hmm. So that, hmm. that was part of a journey that was with impure motives. So, so in that moment when you got ushered off, would you say, is, is that where you gave your, your heart to the Lord officially, or was that just kind of impure motives? Can you just describe that for us? Was it impure motives? Absolutely. Do I believe that Jesus accepted me at that time? Yes, I do. Because Scripture says, who needs a physician, those who are healthy or those who are sick? I was about as sick as they would come at that time. Yeah, I didn't really know even what it meant to follow Christ. I just thought, I got a year to go. I'm going to be dead. I go to heaven. The whole thought mm. of Jesus being Lord of my life, knowing his word, submitting to the Spirit's leading, I had no clue. I started mm. going to the, the youth group. These were a lot of kids who, you know, they've been raised in the church. While I come in, I knew nothing. It's amazing how... 
flippant, we share terms. You know, Jesus is Lord, and, and I'm a Christ follower, and God the Father, yet there's the Lord, and there's a Savior, and there's this ghost thing, and there's a Spirit, and Emmanuel, and all these phrases. And I recall once stopping, and I just said, hey, do you guys have a roster? Who are y'all talking about? And they looked at me like, what? Right, right. And I go, man, you're, you're saying there's God and there's Father and there's Lord and there's Savior and there's Jesus and there's Jesus Christ and there's Spirit and there's a ghost. I said, who is everybody? And so I encourage people, be careful what you assume because I knew so little. And yet mm. I would hear that you were a sinner and then I kept hearing this thing of God loves you. And the first verse, you think John 3, 16. Okay, I understood that whole thing, God loves you. But I wasn't one that can say I understood a whole lot what love meant. But the verse that got me is John 10, 10. That I've come that you mm -hmm. can have life and have it abundantly. That is a verse that I remember thinking, okay, abundance as opposed to survival. Is that really true? Mm-hmm. But again, I didn't think I'd live past 18. So I was making no plans of the future. I still had a lot of anger. And then my senior year, I turned 18 at the end of March. And it was a faith crisis because I was still alive. And you know, your senior year is when people are saying, so what are you gonna do next year? Well, <laughs> it wasn't like I was exactly academically prepared to do anything next year. Mm -hmm. And it was a faith crisis, but God, God was gracious. One of the, I guess he was called an adult youth sponsor. He saw past my arrogance, a couple of the guys in the youth group. I wasn't nice to them because they were competition because these cute girls, but they <laughs> were very gracious to me. And uh, this guy would say, you don't, you don't know anything about the Bible. And I'm thinking, man, can you Christians read that? Is there like, you know, something you can read? And I go, you know, again, arrogance. Uh, yeah, well, whatever. And, mm. and he, he gave me a living Bible. And I go, mm. okay, here's the problem. I don't read well because I hadn't read. Uh, I was a poor reader. And he goes, why don't you pray? And maybe God will help you learn how to read. And I'm thinking, this guy's a nut. First of all, prayer. Okay, what's that? And then help me to read. And so I, my prayer I, it was something like, uh, yeah, right, God, sure. If you can help me read, whatever. Uh, that was mm. probably the depth of my prayer. Mm. And I began to look at this living Bible, and I'm like, I don't get this Guinness book. you know. He goes, no, Gen Genesis, don't, don't start there. Maybe read this John. And again, I came across that. I've come that you can have life and have it abundantly. And that whole thing with God so loved the world, some of it was starting to make a little sense. Mm. Not much. So what did you find when you started to read the Bible? You said some of it started to make sense. Obviously, I started going to the youth group. I started yeah. going to church, not twice a month, but it was all new to me. And the whole thought that God had a plan for my life, I would hear that, and it's as though someone looking forward, and yet I was always looking over my shoulder going, yeah, great plan, because it was starting to make sense that at 18, I hadn't had a normal childhood. Mm -hmm. For me, when you live that, you don't know any different. And my stepmom, God bless her, when I graduated high school, she looked at me and said, you wore me out. And I thought <laughs> there were never 
truer words spoken <laughs> because it was beginning to make sense. All that she had done for <clears throat> me, rarely had I thanked her. <clears throat> and yet where I was, and I was still alive out of the environment I was in, I had clothes on my back, food, but I had wore her out. <clears throat> and again, she was 65 years old. I was embarrassed by her, so I rarely complimented because if she would come to events, you know, you'd hear things, oh, is that your grandma? Yeah, and, right. And so I didn't necessarily want her around a lot. And yet years later, I began to think, what would my birth mom have prayed knowing she was dying, knowing my dad was not necessarily in the picture a whole lot? And I thought, would she have been praying that God would have brought someone to navigate me through the years that were ahead. And a number of years later, I began to reflect back, thinking Myrna, I believe, was an answer to prayer of my birth mom. Because even though, I mean, the difficulty and the separation and coming back and, and being persistent enough to say we need to be as a family and, and then feeling led to move me, God had been watching over me. Hmm. And it was a, a few years in that whole time frame. I heard the passage that God said, I'm a father to the fatherless. Wow. Praise God. And I, I look back thinking, because I made some dumb decisions, again. And somehow Purdue University accepted me. I have no <laughs> idea how. Wow. I go off to school, and people are like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I don't know. My dad was an engineer, maybe engineering. Well, I quickly found I was no more ready for college because I had no study habits. Spiritually, I was an infant. You go into a college atmosphere, I was no more ready for that. I made it to about Thanksgiving. And again, cocky, arrogant, I didn't have a foundation of my faith, and I quit. And my trying to look cool statement was, I'm quitting college, I don't need this, I'm getting a fast motorcycle, fast car, and a fast woman. And I found out <laughs> later, none of those three had any redeeming value in my life. Yeah. I quit, got a job, I, I bought the motorcycle, my stepmom said, You'll never have a motorcycle and live under this house. Um, again, my disrespect, I bought a motorcycle, broke my foot the next day. The car I got, got eight miles a gallon. So that wasn't a great idea. And dating, I had no concept of what it meant to honor God, to what a relationship looked like. And yet again, one of those youth sponsors took me under his wing. I was working a job. You know, wanting to play softball leagues and stuff like that. You know, I was the 19-year-old now, making some money, working, no purpose in mm -hmm. life. But this guy, I didn't know it was called mentoring or discipleship. But he was gracious and mm -hmm. began to just talk to me about what God's Word had to say. And yeah. he was patient with me. He saw through um, the cockiness. He would talk to me about what does it mean to honor God with dating. I mean, some of these concepts, I had no idea. What does it mean to be a man of integrity? Things that you would hope a father would instill and teach. Yeah. Um, 
their son. Was there a specific point where you were like all in or how, how did your faith go go and just bloom? There are some people that can point to one specific moment as far as that being their transition time. For me, it was a series of events. At the church, it was a Baptist church. They strongly advocated baptism. Well, I thought, I'm going to do this year-long thing. I'm going to die at 18, and I'm going to get out of this without my buddies knowing I've done this faith thing. But no, they kept talking about baptism. Mm-hmm. And so they had an evening service, and I thought, man, I can do it in the evening. Nobody will know. My buddies at high school won't know. But uh, somehow the word got out, and mm-hmm. some of my buddies showed up. And I'm like, man, I've been outed now. As I look back, that was probably my first testimony. Yeah that I'm a follower of Christ. Yeah. Because as much as you want to be cool, back then I had hair and um, I thought I looked cool. And when you get baptized and when you're immersed and you come out with that glob of hair all wet and looking like a mop, there is nothing cool about that. <laughs> and yet I look back going, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Mm. And I think that was one humbling moment for me. Because there were some high school buddies that didn't go to our church that showed up. The rest of the youth group were aware of this. I looked like a wet dog coming out of that water. And I thought, I've been outed. And then I began to gradually grow my faith. I was working a job thinking, is this all there is in life? And you can go to work and go home and that's life. Mm. And I kept thinking, I've come that you can have life and have it abundantly. Mm. This other guy goes, why don't you begin to pray and say, God, what do you have for me? Well, it was during that time that a couple of those guys in the youth group, they were at Purdue University, and there was one Christian co-op, and these two guys from the youth group were in it, and I thought, maybe God has me to do this college thing, but I wasn't convinced I was smart. I knew I couldn't handle some of the temptations of college life. And I thought, maybe this Christian co-op will be helpful. God used that in an incredible way in my life. Hmm. Because among the 44 guys, I have no doubt, I was 44th spiritually. Hmm. It was a house where we won a lot of the campus intramurals beating these frats. I was a cheap shot artist in sports, and these guys are going, Hey, Don, we don't do that. We're going to play to the glory of God. And I was like, what does that mean? We're, we're going to be fair. We're going to be honest. We're going to date as men of integrity. We're going to study. We're not going to cheat. They taught me you need to go to class. You need to study. You need to read the books. These guys were a godsend Wow. because, one, they were genuine. There were some jocks. I'd always looked up to jocks. I wasn't the best jock, but I wanted to be. These guys didn't brag about it, but they were really good. Mm -hmm. And Purdue had a six-point GPA. I think the house average for 44 guys was like five. These guys were in aeronautical engineering, pharmaceutical, civil engineering, crazy majors. And I got on the train is the only way I can describe it. And I began to spiritually grow. I began to academically learn. And I realized, man, maybe I'm not so dumb. My stepmom had moved to Michigan. I was like, I can't afford college. The county I lived in, Indiana, there is a scholarship. The qualification is both of your parents are dead. 
Well, let's just say I didn't have a lot of competition. And so I got this scholarship. I was used to fending for myself. Yeah. And I was like, wait a minute. There's a scholarship for a kid like me? Hmm. And I was growing in my faith. And then one summer, the youth group had a traveling choir. So now I was a college guy. And so they asked me if I'd be one of the sponsors. I was in my second year at Purdue. I had matured, stopped cheating, stealing to the point I was actually the treasurer of our house. I went with the youth group as one of the sponsors. They went to a camp in Green Lake, Wisconsin, and there was a speaker. He was speaking about Moses and Aaron. And one having the excuse of saying, God, you can't use me because of my background. Use my brother. I stutter. So use Aaron. And a few folks along the way had come up to me and go, man, might God ever use you in ministry someday? Well, that kind of freaked me out. And so my little phrase I came up with was, God saves guys like me, but he doesn't use guys like me. Yeah. You know, because I viewed pastors, they're the old white-haired dudes that, you know, never sin, never cussed, never did stupid stuff. Hmm. That's not me. Yeah. And so I, I was hearing this message, but something is stirring inside me going, man, do I come up with excuses? That evening, there was a guy sharing about this Christian college, and they have to take Bible classes and, and all this. And I'm just sitting back. Yeah, I'm the college boy. I'm, I'm the sponsor. He got done. And again, I'm just a couple years new in the faith. We got done talking to those high school kids, and he looks over at me and goes, I sense God is stirring in your life. I sense God might be speaking to your heart. Is God potentially saying to you that that he might have something bigger for you. Hmm. I was cool, calm, collected, that arrogance that I had. I was dying inside mm -hmm. because I'm thinking, these Christians can like read what you're thinking. Because <laughs> again, I was so new in the faith. I thought, is there like this scroll going across my forehead that, that you can read this stuff? Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh no, not me. I was like, no, I'm... I'm not doing any Christian college stuff. You know, I, I can only go to a state school because I don't have any money, scholarship, all that stuff. Hmm. He goes, okay. I left that evening walking back. Instead of walking with a group, I walked with one of the young ladies from the youth group. And she goes, man, what was that he was saying? And I go, if that were to be true, God would have to send a shooting star across the sky. Hmm. And literally at that point, across the sky, this bright light, and she goes, did you see that? And I go, oh, yeah, that was an airplane. That was just lights on the airplane. Oh, my god! Inside, I'm thinking, man, if that's the case, it crashed. <laughs> and and <laughs> by the way, that young gal that was four years younger than me, we've been married for 42 years. Wow. Cool. Um, yes. Uh, for our last question, I, have you ever thought about what might have happened differently had your stepmom not taken you in, Don? Oh, absolutely. Because down in Virginia, we'd go visit once a year, the aunts and uncles. And, and there were a couple cousins down there that, man, I thought they were the coolest guys because their parents were younger uh, than, than my stepmom. And they had a lot of freedom. I would have absolutely loved if my stepmom had said, you can move down there and move in with them. I look back, and that would have been absolutely disastrous. Yeah. Because these guys had a lot of freedom. It did not serve them well as they grew older in life. Hmm. And I am so thankful that she um, 
I think where scripture says, my sheep hear my voice. Yeah. She heard, and I believe she was sent for such a time as this. Yeah. And often we look at Esther and go, for such a time as this. I believe Myrna was one of those for such a time as this. It wasn't a fun job. It was hard. She didn't receive a lot of thank yous. And yet she was so instrumental. She served and gave, and she poured out and got very little in return. Mm. And I look at the opportunities that I've had, and I think how grateful I am for those along the way that God brought at just the right time. And as frustrating and feeling as though I lost out, I believe that God at just the right time brought people into my life to protect me, to hedge me in, to watch over, to show me patience. They were gracious to me at just the right time. If you were to look at a billboard of my life, it would have under it, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things to shame the strong. And there'd be a picture of me (laughs) because (laughs) it was not about me. It was by the grace of God. Wow. So good, Don. Thank you so much for sharing your story. It's so good. It's been great having you on the show. It's been a privilege, and I'm very thankful. But by the grace of God. This is Kate with the send-off. Today, we're featuring our 180 poet, Blind Tony. We tend to do things on our own when we believe we're all alone, molding and shaping our plans with the strength of our own hands. Bootstrap theology can make a person into an army of one, making them believe that it is only their own strength that gets everything done, cutting them off from others, making it hard to see them as brothers. But no man is an island, no man stands alone, God's love surrounds us and he's still on the throne, loving us patiently till we come to our senses, start building bridges instead of putting up fences. Thank you, Father, for loving us in such a wonderful way, giving us victories day after day, because you tell us in your word to beware when we think we're standing, lest we fall. And that's good advice that's applicable to us all. I am weak, but thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. And even though those words belong to a very old song, they point the way to where we belong. 180 is a production of One Way Ministries.